Good morning. Good morning. All right. That side sounds good. How are we doing over here? Great. Awesome. Great. Obligated to respond? Kind of. <laughs> great. Wonderful. Shut up already. Just kidding. Well, um, VBS. Did you did you hear how much money VBS raised? The kids of VBS raised last year. It was about two hundred forty-three dollars. This year, it was about twenty-four hundred dollars. Okay. <laughs> just amazing to see um, our kids work their parents (laughs) Uh, because of a good cause to support uh, a couple of kids in Africa to make sure that they have food and water and all those things. I mean, it's an amazing thing what you see. And for kids, what, what you learn at VBS especially is how simplistic the world is at that moment before all our philosophies get thrown on them. Because it's very clear to them. It's very clear to them, um, especially when they're introduced with Jesus. If someone says to them, Jesus heals, okay. Look at the the story about Colt sprained his ankle. One of his first encounters with Jesus is, Lord, heal it. And it's healed. It's settled for him. Jesus healed me. This guy's legit. And here's the issue is that we take the simplicity that God brings and make it complicated because there's a lot of unknowns when something's too simple. Because we go, wait a minute, there has to be more. Who does that? It can't be it. I mean, when you see something advertised on TV and they go free or they go, yeah, whatever, what's the small print? You don't, we don't trust the simplicity of a message sometimes because we feel like there's always these you know, loopholes, and there's these things where they get you, and you're going to now be a victim. But for a kid, they see Jesus, and they go, boom! Now, as we get into today's subject matter, my prayer is Mark's prayer, in that let's have childlike faith and allow God to reveal himself um, through this process, through this time this morning. Because, look, we're going to have opinions on a lot of things. But we want to we start every day the way Paul does in that we are a slave to Christ. Meaning I have willfully given over my rights, my executive power over my own life. I have given to him. And we need that as we navigate through Romans. We navigate through the tensions in life. And today we're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic, the wrath of God. How many have their opinion of the wrath of God? Your definition your thoughts on it, maybe, okay? We all do. We all carry it. And I have it, too. And oftentimes, I look at wrath as cause and effect. You do this to me, I'm going to do this. I tie it with punishment and justice. And all different levels, from the silliest of things to the serious things. Anyone do that other than me? Because we have our own definition of it. Case in point, the last night of EBS... They serve dessert. Who loves their desserts? Okay. Who loves and is, their desserts and is so serious about desserts, you don't want people messing with your dessert encounter. Okay. How frustrating it is when someone, even if you, you know, your spouse or a f- dear friend or a family member just helps themselves to your dessert. How do you feel? It's, you don't have words. The wrath is coming, right? You feel it boiling up inside of you. Don't touch my cookie. So they had cookies. 
And so I go and I get Gracie and I a cookie, and this is after VBS, and we're going to clean a little bit. So I had Gracie sit on a chair over here. I'm going to go help. I'm going to take a bite of my cookie, camouflage it, set it next to her. Bad decision. And so I go to work, and I'm like, I still see her working on a cookie. I'm going, usually she can down those things like a wood chipper. I mean, it's like, it's done. How come she still has this left? So I go over, and I'm like, man, her cookie looks good. I can't wait to eat mine. And it's gone. Gracie, where's my cookie? I don't know what you're talking about. Where's my cookie? Now this conversation lasted for about five minutes. And we go out into the lobby, and Mark Zamora's there, and Taylor is, uh, is there, and, and uh, Gracie begins to talk me down because my wrath is boiling. Okay? She took my cookie. And I, I, I felt like a two-year-old. You took my cookie. I said that to her. Was that your cookie? That's what she says. Was that your cookie? Well, oh, yes, it was my cookie. Oh, I didn't eat your cookie. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm just kidding. And I said, why'd you eat my cookie? Daddy, I could not understand why you would waste it. So you told me not to waste food. So I ate it. <laughs> Brilliant. Straight to law school. But I felt, even for trivial things, it's, and this is just a, an elementary example, I could feel you took my cookie. You know, and even though it's not a big deal, right? I mean, you still even have these levels of cause and effect, meaning you did this, which means this is going to happen to you. And that's how we look at wrath, especially with God, and on an exponential level. I mean, we take the wrath of God and we put our interpretation based off our life experience on what that should mean to everyone else and sometimes take his wrath in our own hands and say, this is justice on God's behalf. Here's his wrath. Now, we're going to look at uh, verse eight, verses 18 and 19 today, and we'll just see what the Lord has to say. It might carry on to next week. Who knows? We'll just hang on to God and figure it out. This is what Paul says. Now, remember, in verse 17, he said, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And this is what follows our passage today. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by wickedness. Since what, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. If we are going to navigate this passage, we talked about last week, I gave a little preview on what we talk about today. We have to make sure that, again, we, we go back to verse 1 of chapter 1, and we submit ourselves to the Lord. We're His. What He wants to say. No matter what your opinions are, right or wrong, they could be right. Doesn't matter. We want to allow the Lord to lead us through this stuff. Okay? Amen? And then we have to trust him. It's the only way we're going to get through life, the only way we're going to get through today, and the only way we're going to get through this journey of navigating the tensions, especially the second half of chapter 1. And so the biggest misconception, again, is that wrath is this, you did this, I'm going to do that. And then we put that into our theology. If you look at some of the most atrocious things that 
the church is done in the name of Jesus, it's because we have stepped in to enact God's wrath on something based on how we would interpret it. We don't let God speak for himself sometimes. We try to fill in the gaps. Who's seen Jurassic Park? Okay, when they're, spoiler alert, it's been out for 20-something years, so, you know, if you haven't done your homework by now, I'm sorry. They're building, they're making dinosaurs, and they only have part of the genetic code. So what do they do with what they don't have? They fill it in with frog DNA, and guess what happens? Bad things. Really bad things. See, there's a simplicity to God's wrath that we'll discover today. And when we discover the simplicity and the unknowns that it carries because it doesn't feel like enough information, because it's not as detailed as we want it to be, we fill in what we call gaps. And when we do that based on our own understanding, we miss what God is really doing. We try our best. I'm not talking about intentions. I'm talking about where we end up landing. And we try to fill these in. Now, the wrath that Paul is talking about is much different than what we would call wrath or what we believe wrath is. Wrath, according to According to God's wrath, and according to what we see in the Greek, according to what we see in the context, is derived from love. And for some, that might throw you through a loop. It is derived from love, and his wrath is solely about relationship. Let me say that again. It's solely about relationship. When we hear the word wrath, we go battle, combat. It's something to do with this aggressive nature a violence, a ruthlessness maybe. And then we would say, with God's wrath, it's a ruthless, violent, justified by God kind of thing. Well, maybe. But when we really look at wrath, it is derived from love for relationship because it's an expression of how much he loves us. The reason why there's wrath is because of his love for us. And the wrath is not targeted towards you as an individual. Not the person he created. It says in scripture towards the wickedness, the sin, the godlessness that we choose. He hates sin, which is why he sent Jesus. So that we don't have to suffer the consequences eternally of sin, which would be death, which would be separated. The kind of death they're talking about in scripture is separation from God. So let's put it this way. We'll make it short and sweet and simple. Really, the wrath of God, you can see, is already set and is almost something we step into. Because if we choose to reject Jesus, and we see, we see that this is what Paul's talking about and the many different ways that the Roman people and, and just people in general reject God. When you reject him, you what? Distance yourself from him. Yes? And when we sin, and sin is not God, it's not part of his character, it's not part of his design for our life, when we sin, what do we do? We distance ourselves. And how does that feel? Terrible. I'd almost rather be, be punished physically or have some kind of uh, physical representation of reprimand because at least I know where I stand, but to sit in the consequence of missing the mark, really the worst punishment we can get is beating up ourselves. Who's good at that? And so I would argue that there, 
that wrath is something that we step into when we reject Jesus. It's not like, oh, I've chosen to sin and here comes the lightning bolt. It's not what we see in culture. It's not what we've made it to be. You know, we even, and I still do this, which shows you how I look at God's wrath, is when I make a joke that I feel probably wasn't good, I go, whoo, like this. Anyone do that? Ooh, because what? You're waiting for what? You're waiting for the lightning. See, God's wrath isn't reactionary. God's wrath is not reactionary. Because we react for several different reasons. Okay, self-preservation. We react maybe out of sense of justice. We react because we don't know what else to do and we don't want to feel like we don't have an answer. And the list goes on and on. And what happens when you react out of impatience or fear? What happens? Good things? No, bad things. Rage is not God's wrath. See, wrath in itself is a building up of righteous anger. And God knows how to hold it perfectly. He knows how to hold it perfectly. It's not a tension for him. For us, it looks like a tension. And if it was, he holds it perfectly. He loves us. And so, of course, his anger is going to be directed towards the wickedness that we choose because that's not the life he has for us. But here's the deal. If we take an unhealthy look at wickedness and we go into the next few verses when Paul is addressing all the different ways in which that wickedness comes out, Whoa, people don't stand a chance. Because we're going to invoke our kind of wrath based off of what we think because of filling in those gaps on our own. And we are reactive creatures. And that's why Jesus is such a paradox for us because when we look at his life, gosh, he doesn't react the same way. He responds. He's proactive. He's always leading whoever he's talking about somewhere, either verbally or by example, and usually both. And we go, wait a minute. Why would you willfully die? Your betrayer's right there, yet you still die. Why would you let this happen when you can call a thousand angels, legions of angels to protect you? Why, why, why? It's a paradox to us. We don't understand because he has the power to do whatever he wants to do, and he sets a different example. His wrath is patient. His wrath is just. It's righteous, and it comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of love. Now, when we yoke ourselves to Jesus and we we stay with him and we go where he goes, we'll learn to navigate the tension so when that someone and many of us are living out some of those sins that we see there. I know I am. It's not what I want for myself. And it's something I allow the Lord to lead me through so I can get healing from some of those things. But when we see those things, we talked about this last week, oftentimes we can go straight to correction. And usually because of the wrath, because we think wrath is synonymous for punishment. Now, punishment can happen from a place of wrath, but wrath itself is not punishment. Wrath itself is a righteous, stewing anger that God holds beautifully. Okay? It's not this lashing out kind of thing. He doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to do that. I'll tell you, he doesn't need to do that with me because... I, when I sin, I know it. And I feel 
incapable of connecting with him because I feel so ashamed. If that's not the wrath of God. Because there has to be an opposite for everything. So if I'm with God, then what's the opposite? Not with God. And so if he wants us to be with him, what's the worst punishment imaginable for us? Not being with him. See, it's something that we choose and we step into, and oftentimes we think it's that lightning bolt. But really, it's something that our actions and our decisions lead us into. And that's why he's saying, yoke yourselves to me. Abide in me and me and you, and you will bear much fruit. He gives us clear. He says it simplistically. Stay with me. Because if you don't stay with me, you're stepping into my wrath. Because it's not the best I have for you. Now, how many of you are parents? Or have had uh, babysat? Or have had encounters with kids where you're watching them and you have to give them some kind of positive influence? Raise your hand again. Okay. This is important to recognize. Remember that God is God of the universe. He is the creator. And oftentimes we'll go straight to that and go, whoa. And that gives me this picture of God where it's like, let's bow down and let's not, whew. That's true. There has to be an awe and reverence that he is the creator. He's the God of the universe. But his heart is one of a father. It's one that loves his children. It's one that gave everything, including his son, for his children. So there's a loving father. And so when you look at your kids, it's, it's an example and it is an illustration of God's perspective of how he sees us, how he loves us, because we love our children. We love them. And I'll tell you, I've parented pretty poorly at times because I can get reactive. And when you get irritated, you get reactive. Who's in that camp with me? And then you say something or do something and you can't take it back. And then you beat yourself up. There's, there's the wrath of God right there. Right? You've just stepped in. It's, man, it's almost just like, give me my 100 lashes so I can move on. Because if I'm left to this, my regret and shame to myself, I will beat myself up over and over and over and over again. See, this is where free will is enacted. God says you can choose me or not. And here's what happens when you don't. The wrath of God. And so anyway, when we look at our kids, we want what's best for them. We want them to experience life. And so we give them skills to, first off, live that life and then know how to live that life. And we tell them certain things. And when they don't do them, we have an opportunity to respond and react in all of those things. Some of us better than others. And there are times where... (laughs) You know, I'm sleeping and I hear my daughter knocking on my door when I've told her a thousand times, don't knock on my door in the a.m. until I come out of the room. And there she is. You open the door and I just want to go, what? My wrath. Cause and effect. And there she is in a new outfit. What do you think, daddy? And then you feel really bad because it's so cute, but you've just creamed her. You've reacted. You're like, man. And so that has been a lot of my parenting at times. It's just like, oh my goodness, can you not do this? And you got that look, thanks for shaming me, dad. (laughs) But there was uh, a time not too long ago where she is crawling on the furniture and she's showing me this 
move that she can do, and, and she's going to jump off of it. And so several things are going wrong here. <laughs> First, I told her not to climb on the furniture. Second, I told her not to jump off the furniture if she gets that far and climbs on the furniture. And I've said it over and over again. I've made it clear. But she has chosen to do what she's going to do. Now, this is where God's wrath is seen. In verse 24, he says, Paul says, that God gave them over. The people that were choosing, rejecting him, even though he's made himself plain and clear, and we'll talk more about that in weeks to come. He's made himself clear, evident, and all that we see. And they've chosen not to be with him. And so he said, fine. Gave them over to their wickedness. He said, fine, you want to do that? You go ahead and do that and see what it births. That's the expression of his wrath. Fine. Is that not terrifying? A God that holds all things together is saying to you, if you want to choose wickedness and reject me completely, fine. So Gracie is climbing the couch. I said, Gracie, you're going to get hurt. And I don't want you to get hurt. Daddy, I won't get hurt. I won't get hurt. Who's heard that? And I, and I heard the Lord say, let her. I said, fine. And I did this. And I watched her. I wasn't absent from her. Sometimes we think God gave them over means he's no longer there. But he's not going to force himself on us. And so, guess what happens to her? She didn't fall at all. It doesn't make my point. No. She <laughs> fell. And she hurt herself. And you know what she said right after? I'm not doing that ever again. She reacted. But I'm not doing it ever again. See, we know what we need to do, but sometimes we have to understand the purpose and the reason for it. Beyond, beyond just what we think, based off our logic, but really the, the deep understanding. When we're talking about sin, sin separates us from the love of God. It moves us away from his presence. It doesn't mean well, he doesn't love us still. It means we've rejected that love. And we have now chosen to step into the wrath of God. He loves us so much, he made it possible to keep us with him for all time. And for some reason, we don't find that good enough at times. It's not to beat ourselves up. It's to have a healthy understanding that the wrath is something that our decisions lead us into, not a lightning bolt coming down to punish you. Wrath is rooted in the righteous love of God. So much so, he bridged the gap with Jesus. This is why we need Jesus, folks. And then his character and his heart is why we want him. We need him because of the sin of our lives. We want him because of his love for us. It's how good he is, even in the midst of suffering. So we're going to go into some heavy topics. And I want you to ask yourself as we leave this place today, Lord, where, what do you want to say to me about this understanding of wrath? Because I'll tell you, it stretched me because my, my understanding of it was contrary to what I'm reading here. And remember, Paul's writing to a church that has temptation all around him. It's a culture not dissimilar to ours. 
Every sin you can imagine is available. And even Christians are participating in those things because you can become so indoctrinized in what the culture is doing that you can convince yourself that it somehow validates your faith or has, is right and is okay to live a life of Jesus while living a life of sin. And in one of the greatest things the enemy does is that he can cause an illusion so that what is sin looks like it's righteous, but it's not. And we have to learn to navigate that. And we have to learn to operate according to what he wants to do and not our understanding of wrath. God will judge. He'll take care of that. What we have to do is step into love in such a way that it can have the first word and the last word and let God do what he's going to do in between. But if we start to invoke our own understanding of judgment and wrath and justice, we will be lost. We will be. We've seen it happen to us too many times. Over and 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 over again. We have to lay it down. Because we, this stuff has to be navigated, folks. We'll never get to chapter 2 if we don't yoke with Jesus. You go, only chapter 2. Yeah, only chapter 2. But this is life. And God wants us to live it with him not just for him. I've said that so many times. With him. And that can be challenging because there are things and circumstances in our lives that make it hard to hear him or make it hard to see him and then we don't feel worthy or whatever. But that's why we have the church, the body of Christ, to come together to encourage one another, to love one another, and at times graciously correct one another so that we can step in to the life God has and not his wrath. But understand that his wrath is righteous and good based off his love and character. It is not ruthless. It is not violent in the sense that it's out to get you. He wants you to keep him with him. Lord told me something a while ago because this is linked with discipline. We discipline our children, yes? Okay. Why? What? Because we love them. And God's discipline... The purpose of God's discipline is to simply keep us with him. All this, again, as I said at the beginning this morning, is for relationship's sake. All of it. Now, we can get lost in that and go, well, it's about the battle against the enemy. Well, that's part of it, but it's for the sake of relationship. It's a battle of relationship. The enemy doesn't want you to have a relationship with Jesus, and that's all Jesus wants from you is relationship. So the battle, which has already been lost to the enemy, he's lost. It's already been won by Jesus. The battle is over relational territory. The enemy doesn't want you to have a relationship, and God does. So why not? It's a a pretty brilliant tactic to make something that seems like God, make it, but it's sin, look enticing. It's so often we do that. Is it not? But when we reject him in those moments, we step into his wrath. Well, we'll see what the Lord wants to do next week. I have no idea. Thank you. But he's good, amen? And I want to pray protection of the temptation to go what we know or don't know when we have unanswered questions and we see those gaps. Because when he says, abide in me, which means stay with me, we go, that's it? There's got to be more. 
No, the more comes from being with him. But nothing more required of you in getting right with the Lord. It's just about being with him. And when, once we start filling on those gaps, that's when we start going down the wrong path. So as we, uh, as we go into the next uh, several verses, they will be challenging. But we need to stay with him and we need to stay with each other. And we need to allow Jesus to create a safe atmosphere for us to ask him hard questions and have the patience to let him answer and for us to hear that answer. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We ask uh, right now, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to say to us? And we may not hear it right now, but I pray that we will continue to cling to you so that we can hear and receive the answer to that question. I want to thank you, God, for this congregation. And we're learning. We're learning, myself included. We're learning. And I thank you that you create a space where we can learn together and ask questions, sometimes hard questions. I pray that we would continue to allow you to have lordship over us individually and as a congregation. That we would allow you to direct our steps and our hearts. I pray against anything uh, that the enemy would throw our way to confuse us, cause chaos, complications, anxiety or fear or worry. Anything unhealthy and not of you, Lord, we say leave now and go to the feet of Jesus. And I pray that when we leave this place, we would leave with a clearer understanding of your love for us than when we walked in here. And we thank you that you provide, and we thank you that you always speak life. We thank you for what you did at Vacation Bible School and the hearts that are being transformed in the seeds that are planted. I ask in Jesus' name that you would help us as a congregation be good stewards to what you have sowed. And we ask in Jesus' name that those movements, those God encounters, those God sightings would multiply beyond what we can comprehend in this place and beyond. That we would trust you in all things, especially our unanswered questions. That we would, um, as the phrase goes, stop trying to work it out and faith it out. And I pray as we uh, go into our tithes and our offerings, that we would have that faith as we give of our resources, not just financially, but our time, our relationships, access to who we are, Lord, I pray that you move us to a place that we would give uh, cheerfully and fully according to what you have called us to, no matter what resource you're asking from us. It's a way that we can honor you in worship. 
So I ask that you would um, help us see you clearly as we continue to step in uh, to praise and to worship and that we would do so in spirit and truth. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Cheers. 